Welcome to Alone at the Table. In this podcast, I play solo tabletop RPGs, and I invite you along for the experience. My name is Audrey. Today's game is Dredge by Scylla's. If you're hearing a little extra background noise right now, that's because I am currently on vacation and I'm by the ocean. I knew I wanted to do a Halloween episode for this show, even before I took an unprompted hiatus, for which I do apologize. I'm nearing the end of the free time I have this year to dedicate to this show, so this episode will be one of the last for the year. Don't worry, you'll still hear the last two seasons of Village Witch and the episodes that I already recorded for Notorious. I just don't think that those will be released on a regular schedule. I'll be back in 2024 with a ton of new episodes. I've got some really exciting stuff planned for the year, and I hope that you will tune in. But for now, happy Halloween! I had had my eye on this game, Dredge, for a while. No relation to the video game of the same name and similar concept. This game uses the Carta system by Peach Garden Games. The Carta system creates a map out of playing cards, and usually the object of the game is to move to a certain point on the map or draw a certain card. That way you can escape whatever situation you're in. I actually didn't know that this game used the Carta system when I picked it up. I don't know what I thought that it was specifically using as its driving mechanic, but I have seen a lot of games with the Carta system and read the Carta SRD myself, and I think it's really cool, especially in solo play, as a kind of alternative to the hex crawl map making type of game. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and read the opening page of Dredge. You are the lone captain of a small, sturdy boat, drifting through a lake so immense it is often mistaken for an ocean. This lake is known as the Ring Waste. It's full of dangers, mysteries, and things that should very much not be found in a lake. As you sail through the ring waste, you periodically stop and sink a chain mesh net deep into its waters, sometimes recovering unusual items from the murky depths. You don't remember why you do this. In fact, you don't remember much of anything at all. As soon as your ship left harbor, your head grew foggy and muddled, keeping only bits and pieces of your previous life. You remember three things with vivid clarity, however. You must survive the ring waste. You must cast your net. You must find the docks. I've set up my game by taking the Ace of Spades and placing it in the bottom most right corner of my four by six grid of cards. This grid contains 21 cards from the deck, plus two kings. 
I don't know which kings are in here. I don't know which cards are in here. This is gonna serve as my map. I have a marker on the Ace of Spades. The Ace of Spades is the harbor. The way that this game works is that each round, I move my marker to an adjacent card to sail to it. If it's face down, I turn it up, find its description in the prompts, and read anything that happens. It'll be basically a journal entry combined with potentially some mechanical effects. Some cards have items attached to them. I think I get to make these up. They're things that I've trawled from the, from the day. So I have a cargo list, quote unquote. This is important for later. Let's get to playing. Can I go ahead and move my marker up and flip this card? It is the three of spades. A rousing song. A memory returns to your mind of some sort of song. A sea shanty, you realize, as you hum the tune to yourself. Eventually, the words drift into your head, and you let yourself sing fully to the empty air around you. My heart's been pierced by Cupid, I disdain all glittering gold. There is nothing can console me but my jolly sailor bold. You don't know where or how you learned the song, but it brings you some small amount of comfort having this melody at your lips again. Let's move to the left. The Two of Diamonds. Wind Toss. Wind whips your face as the waters foam around your boat. You see an immense column of water rise into the sky. It's a tornado formed above the lake itself. You close your eyes and brace yourself. It is all you can do. Moving up. Oh, I've revealed my first king. Okay. So the king being revealed means that a thing called the Deep Hunter has arrived. There's a specific prompt associated with this king, which in my case is the King of Hearts. The King of Hearts is the Colossus. Something ancient and vast moves through the water, following the trail of stirred motion your vessel produces. You've caught glimpses of it before, after falling in the water, and you'll never forget that giant piercing eye. A kraken is on the hunt for your ship, or perhaps for you yourself. All right. I don't think my angler has a name because I don't think my angler remembers their name. 
there's so little to remember on the ring waist. But they do remember. They do remember on an early fishing expedition, maybe their first solo, falling in the water on a day much like this one, windy, anomalies everywhere over the water, rivulets and whirlpools, and they fell in. I don't know if you've ever been submerged in water so deep you can't fathom the bottom, let alone see it. Black, green, blue, purple, all the colors at once. And it doesn't matter because you're in the water. You can't see anything anyway, or you shouldn't. But this time, this time in between the swells and amidst the lightning, there was an eye. It didn't register as an eye on the first flash of lightning or the second, only as a black spot. A black spot in waves so dark that there couldn't be anything darker, but this was, and it moved as though to swallow you, and you thought it was a maw at first. But then, the third flash of lightning, swimming desperately, desperately for the surface. Do you even remember which way the surface is? Swimming for the surface, you realize it is an eye, thrice the span of your height, at least. You manage to snag a rope from your vessel, one of your nets, and clamber your way aboard it. You go home empty-handed. And yet, you have to go back on the water. And until today, until today that eye was only a haunted memory. But now it knows you are on the water again. And it pursues, even if you don't know it yet. The way that the deep hunter works is that every round, Although I am sailing around the grid and trying to find things to dredge up, the deep hunter every round is making its move the most direct route possible toward my angler, but only on upturned cards. If it catches me, we'll see what happens. The nine of clubs and my... Hunter is pursuing. Incomprehensible architecture. In the far distance, a castle builds itself upon the water's surface, towers and ramparts stretching up out of thin air. You watch as it rises, folds in itself, rises again, towers in the sky, then fades into nothing. You figure it was probably a mirage. Probably. The Jack of Diamonds. Tumultuous waters. 
Here, the water bubbles up into a thick foam with no discernible cause. You feel no ripples of boiling heat, and you see no giant aquatic beasts engaged in a thrashing battle, so you decide to cast your net. You dredge up something small and useful. Write down what that item is on your cargo list. The sea was calm for once, and that was unusual enough that you threw your nets in. Whether it was instinct or experience that told you to do so, you managed to haul up a spyglass with small bronze crusted with salt and all manner of algae. But once you wiped the glass clean, it was functional enough. No water inside, no cracked lenses. So you kept it. The Ace of Hearts. Unknown Archway. In a shallower part of the ring waste, a stony arch curves over the water, ends sinking below visible range. Staring at it, you know that if you were to pass underneath, you would not leave the same person as when you entered. You cast your net over the arch's reflection. This is as close as you go. You dredge up something fused and unsettling. Write down what that item is on your cargo list. There was something wrong with the arch. You could feel it, and you dared not sail through. Your net, though. Your net could go through just fine, for you always have another. You almost wish you hadn't cast it, though. It pulled back what at first seemed a mass of debris. But upon closer inspection, it was an astrolabe of some kind. Bone and metal, gore still attached to it. What purpose might it have served? Oh boy, the King of Diamonds. That means that it's my docks. The second king revealed is your docks, which means I have to have five or more dredged up items or to uncover every card on the map without the hunter catching me. Hooray! So I guess we have to keep dredging. A tremor. A shudder runs through your vessel, almost throwing you off your feet. You search for a sign of the cause and then for any leak that may have opened up on the boat but you find nothing. You hope you haven't hit something that might feel anger toward you. Woo-wee. Um, all right, well, I've backed myself in a corner here, so let's just, uh, let's just, this thing's gonna catch up with me. The Queen of Spades. A glowing sky. You're not sure if you've seen an aurora before, 
but it doesn't particularly matter. Your breath catches in your throat all the same. The lights dance infinitely in the sky above your boat, weaving a pattern too complex for a human mind to read. You feel the faintest twinge of loneliness. It would be that much sweeter to have someone else to see the lights with. To stave off the feeling, you cast your net. You dredge up something soft and colorful. Write down what that item is on your cargo list. Don't think about her. Don't. Don't think about the life you might have had if you weren't an angler, if you didn't have to dredge. Don't think about him, either. Or them. Liaisons are all fine when you're at home, when you're on land. But on the waves? No, you wouldn't wish this life on anyone. Your net pulls up a shawl. Soft. Woolen. The color of a sunset. The color of the sunset you saw with her. Don't think about her. Alright, I only have uncovered cards around me, and I'm going to run into the Deep Hunter, deeply unfortunately. So when the Deep Hunter catches me, I have to use one of my cargo items to fend it off, which is not great, because if you'll recall, I have to have five cargo items, or the whole map uncovered, to be able to escape. So... I think in this instance I'm going to I'm going to sacrifice my weird bone and metal astrolabe that I dredged up. A thing so big shouldn't move so fast. You know that it is in its element in the water, but still there should be more than a ripple before it erupts from the waves. You scarcely have time to think. As you see that eye again, you stare into that eye and you are paralyzed, and you don't think. You pick up the nearest object, the bony contraption, and you launch it straight at that eye, which blinks and thrashes and creates a wave that crests and carries your vessel far enough away that you are safe for now. And now I get to move the Deep Hunter to any space I choose, which I think I'm just going to toss it back to the Ace of Spades down in the corner. That's about as far as it can go because I haven't gone very far myself. Abandoned Vessel. In front of you, the surface of the water is broken by a great curved shape, the hull of a boat turned upside down and weathered with age. You can see what look like faint, watery handprints down the side. It's probably best not to question it. You decide here is as good a place as any to cast your net. You dredge up something unassuming and perfectly dry. Write down what the item is on your cargo list. It always feels strange, dredging from a wreck but you suppose that beggars can't be choosers. If some poor souls died here, at least they left goods that might help you survive. I pull up a bedroll, rolled tight, dry, unused.
Flying fish. As you are traveling, you see flits of silver in the air. You turn to see more clearly, and you realize they are fish, bursting through the surface of the water and catching short, beautiful flashes of sunlight on their scales. The ring waste can be dreadful, but it has its small moments of wonder. If the deep hunter has arrived, move it one card away from your marker. Sure, that's great. The Four of Diamonds. Temperature drop. You wake up to find that water around your vessel has completely frozen, locking you in place. The air still sings with an unforgiving chill and the sky is clouded over in white. You spend a few hours simply waiting for the thaw to come. Eventually, the glinting ice recedes into water, leaving no sign it ever existed. If the Deep Hunter has arrived, move it two cards closer to your marker, which puts it on my marker. The dreadful creature approached again while you were chipping away at the ice, waiting for it to melt. Death hastened to you. You pull your spyglass out, and in a desperate, dreadful attempt, Position it just so. It catches the sunlight, slow to melt the ice as the creature thrashes its way through, breaking ice as a boon to you and itself. But it encounters the beam and there is a sizzle and a scorch and a wrenching sound. The spyglass tumbles over the edge but you break free while the creature thrashes among the ice. And I shall move it back to the Ace of Spades once again. The Jack of Hearts. something old and dead. A great distance ahead of you, you see something enormous jutting out of the water. It is too smooth to be a cliff, too thin to be a building. As you sail closer, you realize what the towering object is, a giant worn rib, standing just as alone as you are, marking where something powerful died long ago in the ring waste. In the shadow of this great bone, you cast your net. You dredge up something jagged and curved. Your net breaks the first time, comes up with a great rent in it, and you curse and spend an hour mending it. And then you cast it again, because there is something down there. It comes up torn twice more, but you're too stubborn. You cast it again, and this time, this time, it comes up with a great gar jawbone, jagged teeth along the edge that have been fashioned into the spear point of a once beautiful weapon. The Queen of Hearts Ceremony. 
Dots of pink cover the water ahead of you, dancing gently on the surface of the low waves. You realize they are flower petals, oddly fresh and bright for how far you are from any shore. There is a ceremony to their presence that you sense. There must have been some purpose to their scattering. Whether it was for mourning or for celebration, however, you will never know. As the petals drift farther and farther apart, you cast your net. You dredge up something beautiful and sharp. Who would go to the trouble of carting all these flower petals to the ring waste? Clearly, whatever ceremony occurred was very important. Sometimes you think that all you are doing is desecrating a grave. In this case, it might be true, but still, you cast your net. It comes back with an ornate harpoon, clearly ceremonial, clearly unused. How long will it remain that way? The Ten of Hearts, Glow of Life. As evening starts to fall, a faint glow from the water around you catches your attention. It takes you a few moments to realize that the light originates not from below the algae-covered surface of the lake, but from the algae itself. Bioluminescent constellations of tiny life forms blossom around your boat, keeping you company as the hours pass. Trusting their silent presence, you cast your net. You dredge up something fragile and intricate. In many ways, after the sea of petals, it feels like you have passed into the underworld with all the bioluminescence around you. The only light, save for a paltry lantern on your boat. You wish that you could be safe on the seas at night but you know that something pursues and that great eye lingers in your mind. Still, you have a job to do. You cast your net. It returns with a clock, gears exposed and still ticking despite its time submerged. That's five things, and I could head for my safe harbor, except for that the Deep Hunter is closing in on me, so I'm gonna have to be kind of roundabout here, I think. The Queen of Clubs. uncanny image. In a moment of calm, you peer over the side of your boat into the water below. 
You see a face looking back up at you. Not your face, exactly. Rather, something that has taken your features and twisted them. The grin is eerily sharp. The eyes more bloodshot than yours have ever been. It's hard to tear your gaze away, as the face that is not your own whispers something to you. You can't hear it from where you are, but you know it is something important, something lovely and deep, a secret that only you yourself could know. You decide to cast your net here. You dredge up something forbidden and decayed. You should sail away. You know you should. But that face, your own face, in a way, when was the last time you saw your own face? Did it always look this way? Distorted in the sea. Distorted in the bottle glass on your ship. Maybe so. Maybe. Maybe. This twisted image is what you truly look like. You cast your net to disperse the image, to stop thinking these thoughts. But what comes up only sends your mind in different and worse directions. It is a corpse. Not just any corpse, but a lovingly preserved, salted corpse that was once a sacrifice to the gods. Now that you think of it, the beast that pursues you might have been the hunter that took this victim. Preserved as it is, you know it will be worth a fortune at a museum. Your conscience begs you to throw it back, but it is easy enough to ignore. The Two of Hearts and the Deep Hunter is going to catch me after this one, so I will have to make a sacrifice. Boiling wastes. The waters grow darker here, bubbling and hissing in a boiling wave of heat you can feel from up on your boat. Not much can survive in this atmosphere, you're certain, and you don't want to be the next living thing to succumb to the cloud of steam. You take a sharp turn out to sea. If the deep hunter has arrived, move it one card closer to your marker. Okay, so that happens before it moves. That's fine. You turn out to sea, and the thing emerges once again. Despite how hostile you know these waters must be. Without thinking, you grab the ceremonial harpoon. Your aim is true. It doesn't hit that eye, though. Rather, it leaves a gash in the beast's side. And it tosses boiling water up onto its own skin, leaving you able to get away. All right, this time I'm going to move the Deep Hunter to the Queen of Hearts, which is my upper left-hand corner. 
And I lost the harpoon, but I do still have five items. <sighs> okay, back to the Queen of Diamonds and back to the King of Diamonds, which is when I leave. So let's get to my final prompt. King of Diamonds. You remember now, finally, the ring waist and everything in it is the body of a giant slumbering lake god. The items you've dredged up are all gifts presented to you with meaning and purpose. What does the sleeping god want from you? So as a reminder, I have a bedroll, a spear with a spearhead of gar jawbone, an intricate clock, a salted corpse, and a beautiful woolen shawl. All that time, all that time atop these waves, pulling things from the depths, trying not to think of home, trying desperately to remember home. And now you remember. The lake is a thankless god, and yet it has taken an interest in you. You know, suddenly, you know in your heart of hearts that you will not leave these waves. It has sent its manservant the deep hunter, the colossus, that unwavering eye, it has sent the creature to retrieve you, its spouse. For what could these gifts be, if not courting gifts? A bedroll? A shawl with which to adorn yourself? Even the corpse which you now see wears something similar, carries the same spear, its previous spouse, and a clock, a clock still running beneath the waves, it's tick, 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 ticking. That ticking burrows itself in your mind. You listen to the waves. You have a choice. You think. You wait. The clock stops. The eye emerges. You step into the waves. Well, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I had a lot of fun with this game. I would definitely play it again. I am going to let you in on a little secret because full transparency is important to me. I early on hit a card that would have killed me because I had no cargo to defend myself with and no way to escape the creature. 
but that seemed very unsatisfying to me, both in terms of playing a game and telling a story and doing an episode to share with people. So this is just a little reminder to you that you can change the rules of a game. You can fudge the rules of a game. You can extend gameplay however you need if you're having a good time. I think that it is easy to forget that the ultimate goal of games is to be fun, usually, or at least to elicit a response that is enjoyable, even if you wouldn't call it fun. This one was horror. It was fun for me. It might not be fun for everyone. I think that it's totally okay to say, hey, I'm not done playing when you reach an end game condition that is unsatisfying to you. And I'm really glad that I did it because I'm happy with the story that I ended up telling. I kept my prompts simple. There's a lot of really evocative writing in this game. A lot of what I was narrating was from the game, was not stuff that I wrote or came up with as part of my journal entries. This was my first foray into actually playing a card game, although I have read many of them. I have a few that I know that I will play in the future. One I will probably even play on this show again, but I highly recommend it if you are interested in any sort of kind of board gamey feeling to your tabletop RPGs. This was nice. I often lose interest in like hex crawls, but I enjoyed this a lot as an alternative and the map being able to be different every time, even if you recycle some prompts, um, because there are only 52 cards in a deck and two of them are guaranteed to be kings and one of them is guaranteed to be the ace of spades. I think that there's a lot of replay value in this. The writing in this one alone was so evocative. It held the spooky atmosphere really well and I just had a lot of fun with it. I'm so so glad that I picked this one up. I got it in the fundraiser bundle games for Gaza. If you are looking to donate to help the people in Gaza currently, I definitely recommend it. This game is in there. I'm sorry, did you say Street Magic by Caro Sarian is in there. Beam Saber by Austin Ramsey is in there. A lot of really good games, so definitely check that one out, especially if you're looking to pick this one up. There's some other very good solo games in there as well. I hope everybody has a happy and safe Halloween and a happy and safe rest of the holiday season for the rest of the year. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, I will be back with the remaining two seasons of Village Witch and the episodes I have left for Notorious, along with maybe some other little bonus content. But for the most part, regular episodes are done for the year for this show, and I will catch you in 2024. You can find this work of Scylla's and their other works on their itch page, which I will link in the description. You can find my stuff, including my recently released game, Behold, a game about debating what a game is, on my itch.io page, ladytabletop.itch.io. You can also find me on Tumblr at ladytabletop, or you can find this show on the Moonshot Podcast Network webpage, moonshotpods.com. Moonshot is a group of creative people doing streaming and podcasts and lots of other cool things, so you should definitely check out all of our stuff. That's all for this episode. Thank you for coming along for this experience. I hope you have a wonderful Halloween and a wonderful rest of your year.
Hey, Jacqueline. Do you think the 2011 Egyptian revolution was caused by the chaos god Apophis? Uh, I mean, I think that's... How about the American Civil War and its ties to Greco-Roman conflict? I, I mean, I think that's underselling the economic concern of slavery. Do you think centaurs just piss where they stand? Jacqueline, no offense, but I think there's something deeply wrong with you. It's not me, it's actually Rick Riordan, author of the Percy Jackson series. So you're saying that if you do a deep analysis of this incredibly popular and purportedly progressive, though overall well-intentioned author's works, you can uncover the deep rot behind American liberalism and capitalism as a whole? Yeah. Okay, I guess we could do a podcast about that. And we can make sure to take time each episode to find the incontrovertible proof that his characters are not cishet because Rick Riordan is not the boss of us. Listen to One Wise Girls every Friday, brought to you by the Moonshot Network.